just struck me as he tried to get through all those Greek names. You know, it struck me as he was reading it, and uh, something new just hit me as it began. It was like he said, they accused him of teaching strange things. It just hit me. Where are we? In Greece, what do you guys, what did you guys always say when you were in math class? It was all what? Greek to me? Okay. So, anyway, right, right straight from the word. Where I wanted, what I'm going to invite you to do today is let's, let's get the Greek out of this. Let's get into this. And I invite you while we do this, okay, to place yourself you know, there in Paul as he journeys into Athens. Okay, and yet at the same time, I want you to see what you can pull out to today's culture. How does this fit? Because over the past 18 months, Pastor Daryl and Pastor Kevin have been leading the elders in this incredible study of discipleship and how to, you know, lead the body into fulfilling the Great Commission. Well, obviously, Paul was all about fulfilling the Great Commission. And what was really inter interesting to me is we were studying that. I kept this, this trip in Athens kept hitting me again and again and again and again. And then it dawned on me, it's so much like our culture. And that's why part of what I hope to bring out in this today. So before we get there, get to Athens, am I getting too? Before we, I'm getting an echo, maybe it's just me. Okay. Um, before we get to Athens, I want to back up to the very verse one. I'll go quicker, trust me. Okay, back up to verse one. He's in Thessalonica. Okay, and it says, as was his custom, he went into the synagogue and he preached to the Jews. Now, when he preached, it, he taught from the scriptures. And it, it, by the time we get here in Thessalonica, okay, it just, Luke, who, who's transcribing all this, Luke just says, as was his custom. Because already back in chapter 13, he already spelled out what, what Paul, how Paul spoke to the Jews in the Jewish synagogue. Okay, so now we're just saying he comes into town, what's he first do? He always goes to the synagogue. He says he was there for three weeks or three Sabbath days, and he was teaching and teaching and teaching. And there was quite a bit of fruit. Okay, because we also learned in chapter 20, there's on that new list of his helpers, there are several people from Thessalonica. With him in Thessalonica at that point was his discipleship. Okay, I want you to follow also his pattern of discipleship here. He had with him Timothy and Silas. Okay, so he's there, he's there, and Timothy and Silas are there to assist him, but they're also there to be discipled by him. As a matter of fact, when he gets chased out of Thessalonica, just a brief moment on that moment, when he gets chased out, he leaves Timothy behind to you know, establish the church plant. Okay? But in Thessalonica, of course, now just see how this comes out. Okay, he's very successful. Okay, but there are some, I love the way the King James puts it, men of a baser sort, okay, that came and caused up and stirred up a riot. Okay, under a false narrative. This is sounding like something like today. I remember I'm inviting you to see how a lot of this plays into our, our society today. What's going on? How about even in the news this week? Okay. How they came in and said, oh, look, look, look. And we, they stir up the crowd. And they say, he's preaching a false king. He, he's teaching a, a, another king other than Caesar. We want Caesar. Okay. So just quickly, I mean, I mean where, where are we today? I mean, this, this riot. 
occurs. So they safely get Paul out of town by night. He's heading down the highway. Literally, it was the highway, the Eugene Highway. Okay, and they get off the highway and they take a detour to Berea. Okay, kind of like we're not going to follow us. So now Silas and Paul are in Berea again. It says, as was his custom, he comes there. Okay, he teaches in the synagogue. And these guys, he, he, this is always held up. There's even churches named the Berean Church. Okay, it's, they're, they're um, commended for the way they search the scriptures daily. They, they took what Paul said and they really searched the scriptures. Okay? And of course, what happens there is that those, those rioters up in Thessalonica found out he was there, you know, professional riot, you know, rioters moving from city to city. I mean, we don't see that anymore, do we? Okay. Again, moving from city to city just to follow up on him. And they caused a stir, and sure enough, he has to leave Berea. Okay? He, okay? But Silas is left in Berea. You know, he's leaving a church plant as he goes. It doesn't say who assists him to get down to Athens. But again, in chapter 20, okay, there's a whole new list of people from Berean and Thessalonica that are helping him. It's really kind of a, when you, you know, follow back, there was fruit following Paul as he went through this missionary journey, fulfilling the Great Commission. Okay, now, he comes in, he's into Athens. No matter how you come into Athens, if you come in through the port and Athens is up there on the hill, you come in from the port, as soon as you step off the, the ship, there's idols everywhere. Okay? As a matter of fact, the greatest idol in there is Athena, the one up on the Acropolis known as the Parthenon. The Parthenon still sits there today. Okay? It was then the temple of Athena. Okay? Uh, or if you came in, from the east, and the, any of the roads that came in, you know, if you came in from the east from Corinth, okay, you, you started seeing idols, you know, three, four, five miles out. So I'm not, I'm not asking you just in your mind, just in kind of a quick math quiz here, just to guess, not out loud. How many idols did they document in Athens? Just think to yourself. I'll give you a minute. See how close you come up. Ready? 30,000. 30,000, okay? They had idols to everything. And before we get on that, you know, kind of before we kind of like, wow, this, you know, many of those, I can't, I, and from what I've been studying, what I've heard people say, right, in, in teaching this, many of them say there isn't one that still doesn't exist today here in America. Mother Earth, Mother Nature, right? Do you ever hear of that, the, uh, the New Age? Okay, um, the, the, okay, so we have, a lot of those faiths still exist. A lot of them based on humanistic beliefs and such, but we'll, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but I'll get there. But just picture that, he's coming into town, okay? And he's alone now. He doesn't have all but what he's carrying. And he didn't come in a car or a van or anything like that in those days, he, he came in. And he left, you know, as a matter of fact, the guys who brought him there, who were nameless at this point, when he, he says, please, send Timothy and, Tylus, or Timothy and Silas to me, you know, as, as soon as possible. So they kind of want to get the impression he's supposed to kind of hang low, okay, until he gets back up. But Paul 
It says, while Paul was waiting, okay, in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols, as we just talked about. They're everywhere, okay? And distress, that comes from the Greek word, okay? It was the Greek word we use is paroxino, paroxino, okay? And it was the one that they used to describe God's righteous anger with all, with Israel's idol worship. And God was, it was more than being distressed. He was quite angry about it, and he had to do something about it. Okay, but I think he has an answer. Okay, he's, he doesn't have helpers with him. As a matter of fact, that's, if we read from Thessalonians, and that's just a little clear because it fits, Timothy came down from Thessalonica and he brought offerings. That was so, in of our pastors are going to understand, that was so that he could step out of having to work, he's going to go in the marketplace here, work and be able to minister full time. Okay, because he had to kind of keep working to make a living. Because we learn right here in the next verse. So, he went to the synagogue with both the Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. So, he had to, he went, it was his custom, there were Jews. There wasn't a Christian body or plant there yet, but there were Jews in um, Athens at the time. And Paul is, as he starts working, he starts working in the marketplace. And I can just imagine, I want you to imagine these, all these idols, and they're just irking him. Okay, how, and are you kind of like, at the same, okay, look at all these wild beliefs. How, all these wild beliefs out there. How does I possibly, how can I possibly address them? And Paul, it really is in a situation different than what we have. We have humanistic beliefs. We have, I'm sorry, it was. He's walking around. I got to have a plan. Can you imagine? How do I do this? I got to have a plan. I got to have a plan. I was going to bring a cane and act this out a little bit. Okay, I got to have a plan. Okay, I got to have a plan. I got to be prepared. I can just hear Peter telling me now, always be ready. Always be ready to give an answer for the truth that's in me. Okay, and I, and I know, you know, I, as I wrote to the Colossians, I got to be ready to tear down the strongholds of the enemy. All right, so and these are working on So I can just see him walking along. Bang, there it is. I got it. I got it. Okay, here we go. So, a, so as he's teaching in the marketplace, a group of Epicurean, I'll, I'll tell you what, the, what, what got him here in a moment, you'll see. Okay, a group of Epicureans, now here's where the Greek comes in. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate him. Those are the only two mentioned here. Those are the, they were the predominant philosophical schools that, there were, that were inside Athens. Okay, but I'm sure the uh, para, paralytics, uh, peripatetics, there we go, paralytics, peripatetics, they were Aristotle's disciples. Okay, and the academicians, Plato's, those schools were just on the, on the edges of Athens. They were all here. Okay, as well as st the straight out um, humanists and atheists and you name it. I mean, it's kind of like what we're looking at today. So, but in particular, they focus on that because remember, 
Luke is recording this, and Luke wasn't here. So Luke is, I can, we're just kind of like picture, okay, Luke to Paul, what, what went on? And okay, and Paul gives him the whole story, and then Luke just records it down. And Luke is recording this because most of what Paul's words kind of most directly spoke to them, but they spoke to more than just the Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers. The Epicureans, they were like an atheistic materialist. No, I mean by materialist, I don't mean economic materialist. I mean an atomist. They, they believe that um, you're made of molecules. There's nothing else. There is no soul. There is no, um, there is no transcendent God. It's, it's all physical. Okay, so, but the Stoics, on the other hand, they were kind of your pantheists. Okay, this is, everything's God, and God is in everything, and uh, but God wasn't the God as we consider a transcendent God. This was just like more like a Star Wars force. And I, I do mean, so I'm bringing it to today. It was a force. Okay, and literally, remember, what was Luke supposed to do? Forget everything and be part of the force. As a matter of fact, that was their destiny. When you died, you became part of the force. Okay, so that, that was the, the Stoic belief. And when, more of what they believe is going to come out when we start quoting them here in a few minutes. Okay, but while he was in the marketplace, Paul's teaching, he's probably teaching to the Jews. He's made some connections. He's in the marketplace. He can go ahead and um, start working with Jews, and they want to hear more. And as he's teaching, some of these guys overhear him. Okay, and Athens... It was, as, as, as you know, and as I tried to point out, that it was like the philosophical capital of the world, okay? It was the city. It's past its glory, though. It, it only happened, like, it's 400 years past its glory. As a matter of fact, Corinth is actually the city right next to it, just to the east, has already overtaken it as the economic capital of the area of, of Achaia, okay? But what we've got going on here was these two are saying, okay, wait. What is this babbler trying to say? Today it would be, what's this troll doing? Okay. Okay, because they, they weren't being polite about it. Okay, what, what were they doing? He seems to be advocating foreign gods. This is because Paul was preaching. Notice the plural, foreign gods. And Luke adds in, it's, it's because he was teaching about Jesus and the resurrection, and everything was a god in, in, in Greece, okay? So they, they took him as two separate topics. They, they didn't have that connection, and Paul's got to make that for them. Okay, so when we're looking at it, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. This, okay, now, so they took him to the meeting place of the Areopagus, <laughs> where he said to them, may we know this new teaching, you are presenting. Now, it's curious in the way that Luke, I keep wanting to say Paul, Luke is presenting this. Because 400 years earlier, okay, that was the charge that was brought to Socrates on the Areopagus that you are advocating foreign gods. Okay, so they discharged this against Paul. And what happened there? He was sentenced to death. 
Socrates was sentenced to death for advocating foreign gods. So now this charge, and I mean, I can just hear, I can just hear um, him telling this to Luke, and Luke looking at Paul goes, oh no, <laughs> how'd you get out of that? Okay, but Paul is kind of like, it's, it's 400 years later, they, they weren't as afraid of that anymore, okay, they've gotten more civilized and more reformed, okay, so they took, as I said, they took him, now, I just want to add in there, Areopagus. Now, in most of your, in many of your Bibles, you'll hear this is Paul's t- preaching at Mars Hill. And so that in some places, in some translations, you might even say they went to Mars Hill. Areopagus is like, um, I'll relate it to our Senate. Okay, and Mars Hill would be, they were on Capitol Hill. So when they say the Areopagus, that's the body of the judges. Now, it's a little different than our sentence, but it's the body of our judges, and they were on Capitol Hill. That's where we would get Mars Hill. So the Areopagus is the body of the judges, and they were at Mars Hill. Okay, so if you're wondering if you're reading a version where it refers to as Mars Hill instead of the Areopagus, that's what they're doing. Instead of saying the Senate, they were saying they're on Capitol Hill. Okay, now I can almost picture Paul, you know, there today. Okay, now it says, you are bringing forth strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. Actually, this is kind of what Paul's been waiting for. Remember I said he had it? He, he figured out how he was going to address that? Here, we're going to get that in a minute. I just love this comment on 21, kind of like Luke interjects something here. He says, all the Athenians and foreigners lived and spent their time doing nothing but talking and listening about what's new. That sound familiar? Right, you ever hear of Twitter and Facebook? I mean, I'm, remember, I'm trying to make it current, to our, you know, bring current, what's going on there. How, how is Greek that different? When these people just sat around waiting for the new thing. Okay, there used to be shows, and actually they still are on, Dr. Phil, um, Ellen, Ellen, I can't remember, Ellen DeGeneres, okay, where day after day after day after day after day, it's just what's the next new thing? What's the next new thing that's affecting society? We got to talk about it, okay? So, I mean, I just brought, I was using these as two props of idols, they're all around, okay? I'm not saying that TV's bad. I'm not saying that your phone is bad. I'm just saying there are avenues where this, this whole thing, what's new, what's new, what's new, they're aching for what's new. So here we go, finally. Paul stood up the meeting at the Areopagus on Mars Hill and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Now, lost in that is he's, he's complimenting them as contrast to them calling him a troll, basically. He's complimenting. He's saying, I see that you're devout. You're dedicated to trying to get this right. Okay? So, for I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship. I even found an altar with this inscription. This is the one. Paul's aha to the an inscription to an unknown God. 
Now, I want to pause there and bring the context in. Jews had been in Athens, and they were there afterwards. As a matter of fact, some second century Christians and Jews trying to disciple in Athens often and before would try to actually point out, and I've even done this in my Sunday school class. I always wonder, why did the Greeks always get the, the credit for all the philosophy? Because honestly, aren't they just copying Solomon and Moses? And actually, that, and to my surprise in studying for this, that was the consideration. As a matter of fact, many Jews were trying to make, you know, the Jews getting a foothold in Greek culture were trying to establish, hey, you guys are just copying us. You got some of it wrong, but I mean, the, your good ideas, Moses had them first. Solomon had them first. David had them first, long before you guys. Okay, it never went over well. So Paul was probably even, probably even where Paul grew up was kind of like in between Palestine and Greece. He grew up in Tarsus. Paul was a well, well-educated. Probably he knew, as you're going to see, he could quote the Greek, the Greek poets and philosophers. Okay? So he knew, and he probably knew because he was also a Pharisee, he probably already knew how possibly we'd talk to a Greek. Okay? We, we could show him. We'd try to show him, hey, these ideas were already here, Moses. And that isn't what he did. He saw this, and he's being accompanied to the tomb of the unknown God. He also knew 600 years ago, does it, okay, 600 years prior to this, there was a plague in Greece, in Athens. Things were going really bad. It was dry. People were dying. There was, you know, people were sick. And they, all the temples got to work doing their sacrifices and doing their penances and trying to get this all solved. And a man named, the solution and actually who it was, may, they're not sure about the connection, but most believe Epimenides, okay, suggested that they starved this flock of sheep. Then, after starving them for about two weeks, let them out, okay? And whichever sheep didn't eat but just lied down, they would build an altar there to the God that they didn't have yet. See, there are all these gods, and just to play it safe, let's get a temple to this God we don't know. And, and, you know, to turn away the plague, just to play it safe. That's what this was. There wasn't only one unknown, unfortunately, not only one sheep laid down. There were a couple of them, okay? There were several unknown God temples, okay? And so Paul is going to use that as a doorway. And he's saying, you know, you're right, okay? You're and the plague, by the way, was turned after this action with the sheep and them sacrificing to the unknown God. Okay, the plague was turned, the plague ended, and the people were suffering. That's why these these temples or these worship sites still existed. He goes so again to the temple of the unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. This is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Now, that's in English. I mean, in the, in, in the vernacular of what we're trying to say, it, it sounded like he's saying, you know, he was being derogatory. He wasn't doing that. Basically, he was saying, yeah, you're right. 
It's that God that I'm going to tell you about. You had it. It was right there. It's that God that you don't know about that I'm going to tell you about. He didn't go and try to go back and say, hey, look, you were just copying from Moses. and that. No, that God right there. That's the God I'm going to tell you about. Okay? So, the God who made the world and everything in it is Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. Okay. Right off the bat, he's proclaiming God, not teaching, but proclaiming it. And it is counter to what the Epicureans, the Stoics, and uh, the others, they're all, were pretty much in opposed to, opposition to. Because this, he's talking about a transcendent God who made the world. There's going to be a progression there. There's going to be world, man, nation. Well, you'll see that coming up here. He who made the world and everything in it, and he is Lord. Okay? That means he's the one in charge. He is the purpose of your life. He gives you purpose. He gives you meaning. The Stoics, their purpose and meaning was just to pursue reason. The Epicureans, they're, they're, they were the pleasure seekers. Okay? And avoiding Avoiding hardships, okay? Sound like it could be relatable to what's still around? Okay, so he says, he is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in, hand, in temples built by hands. That's kind of a teaching. It does go back to Solomon, and, okay? But he, he's kind of reversing it on him. Remember, he's standing there, standing here, and... <laughs> I'm going to keep following that. And it, all these temples and all these worship sites all around him, you say, he made you. He made heaven and earth. He's the one in charge. He doesn't live in any of these. Okay? He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. That kind of, right there, that is a straight shot to the um, Epicureans, because they said their belief about God is they, they didn't deny the existence of the Greek gods, but they kind of held a deistic thought about them. Oh, they're, they, they were materialistic, and they had nothing to do with man. Okay? They needed nothing to do with man. Okay, so he's kind of trying to relate. He's trying to relate, but make contrast, too. Rather, he himself gives everyone life, breath, and everything else. So he's kind of showing you got this whole thing in reverse. It isn't that you can serve him. He doesn't need anything from you. And God doesn't need anything from us. If we don't do what he has for us to do, he'll find someone else to do it. He'll find someone else to do it. Or... In the case of Jonah, pursue it a little harder until he gets it right. Now, from one man he made, now watch, he, he did the earth. Okay, he did the universe, 26. From one man he made all nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. Okay. Now, the Athenian special was 
Athenians were born from Athenian soil. They just rose up. The original Athenians just rose up out of the soil. Okay, and they were special for that. Okay, now he's saying from one man. And remember, they're, they're somewhat familiar with Jewish teaching. Okay, so he's saying from one man, which whenever Paul goes from one man, he's always referring to Adam. If you follow him in Romans, you follow him in Corinthians, and you hear what he says. And he was in Galatians. He talks from one man this. He's referring from Adam. That should inhabit the whole earth. He marked out their appropriate times in history and the boundaries of the lands. So he not only created heaven and earth, he created you, and he created nations. As I'm thinking back to Daniel, that's almost like a straight quote from Daniel 2.21, where I raise up nations at my will. Okay? So he is appointed town and boundaries. And ready? This one really, before I move on, this one really split the Epicureans and the, the Stoics. Because kind of like um, Forrest Gump, remember when Forrest Gump is <laughs> standing there in this sad scene, you know, over Jenny's grave. He goes, you know, Mama, I, or, or Jenny, I don't know. Was, was, is it Mama right, or was it Lieutenant Dan? Are we kind of all just floating around Epicurean chance? Or is there this force of fate? You know, stoic. And of, he, what he's saying here is no. Neither one of those choices speak to it. It's a transcendent creator that has your destiny, your purpose, nation's purpose. Okay, not only individual, but nations of a bunch of nations. Okay? And if you remember, anybody remember his answer? It was, uh, I'm not sure, but maybe I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, these questions still, these, these questions still echo today, and they, they feel profound to people who watch the movie. If you watch the movie, it's kind of a profound moment, but it was kind of, there, it was dealing with that question. Okay, or one very, you know, very close. It's slightly different. Okay, therefore, okay, for in him, okay, now, now he's going to go on and start quoting. Okay, and I, if this were Paul with us, if this were Paul with us, it would be something like this. For we hold these truths to be self-evident, that we, all men, are created equal, and they are endowed by their creator. And, okay, to the republic for which we stand, one nation under God. And in God we trust. I mean, that could be, that could be what, he's, what he's doing here. He's, he could quote from our father, haven't your forefather said this? He's pointing to God. And what he, that's what he's doing with the Stoics and the Epicureans here. He's saying, for in him we move and have our being. Okay, that again, that's a quote to one of their famous philosophers, one of their famous founding fathers, okay, called Epimenides. Not to be confused with Epicurean, but Epimenides. Okay, I know it's all Greek. But Epimenides, again, he was the one that's accredited with the unknown altar scene. Okay, so some of your poets have said, we are his offspring. 
So on one side, he's with the Epicureans. Now he goes and kind of pulls in a Stoic. And then this is kind of, Luke made sure he got one from the Epicureans, one from the Stoics. Okay, and we are his offspring. That's Erastus. Okay, it, it, it appears at the end of a poem to, about, you know, inciting Zeus. But he's trying to say, look, okay, for in him, we are their products. You, you, but this unknown God is the answer. Because remember, he's not connecting with them. He's using these lines. But this is connected to the God you don't know. We are his, what? Children. We are his offspring. And in him, we move and have our being. You don't know him. I'm telling you. Remember, I'm telling you who he is. Okay. For there, for since we are his offspring... We should not think that divine, that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone. You can almost see him pointing to the different worship sites. He's not gold. He's not silver. He's not stone. Okay? If we are, see, if we are his offspring, we're not stone. We're not silver. We're not gold. Yeah, we are made in his image. If we are made in his image, these temples don't, don't, don't have it. Okay? Um, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance. Now, what, it, again, that sounds harsher than what he's saying. What he's saying is, you were, you were not blamed for what you didn't know, in a sense. You didn't know. You've got to the unknown God. Okay, you have to the unknown God. And you, you, you have a temple, and you are worshiping him. Okay, so it's not being, what you didn't know isn't going to be held against you yet. Okay, because in the past he overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Now, everything was going pretty well because Paul was making a connection. He was quoting their great poets. He was making, you know, he didn't, he wasn't telling them that the Jews were, you know, here first kind of thing. He, he made the, the great connection. Okay, he was quoting them. He was establishing it, but he did make corrections. You know, there isn't a transcendent God. This is the one you're missing. This is the one you worshipped. You worshipped in ignorance, but now you can't do that anymore. You have to repent. Because now, I've told you who he is. And he's going to say, it was evidenced by the resurrection. I'll get to that in just a moment. But you now know who he is. It, you're not ignorant anymore. So all these idols now are against you. You are now worshiping. You are now idol worshiping. Okay, so for, um, let me catch back up. In the past, overlooked such dangerous, but now he commands people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by a man. Okay, he has appointed. He has given proof to everyone by raising him from the dead. Paul was always big in resurrection. Corinthians said, hey, if the resurrection wasn't true, your faith is in vain. 
So he's going around the world on the testament. That was the thing that transformed people. Right? The resurrection, seeing the risen Lord. And he's going out and he's saying, look, you, you can't do it anymore. This, all this stuff, you, you're not ignorant anymore about it. You now know. Okay? So, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, like I said, he was going pretty well to that point. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them seemed, or sneered, mocked, okay? But others said, we want to have, hear more of this. They're ever in the, want to hear more, want to hear more. Which, in, in some respects, is good. At this point, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, and a woman named Demarius, and a number of others. And before I go and close, in some, some commentaries, because you know, I've seen, I've, I've read many commentaries coming to this and studied this, and I've seen a lot of people comment right here that they're denigrating some teaching. There, there was some teaching out there where, well, Paul didn't, wasn't really that successful. <laughs> Look, it was just this, this, and this. Um, and therefore, you know, Paul had to change his teaching. He should have taught Christ. It's just a misunderstanding on that in case, okay, there's a misunderstanding going on there because Paul was very successful. I mean, from there, we had, they believed Dionysus. It's by tradition, you know, having him in evidence, but by tradition, Dionysus became the first bishop of, of the Christian Church of Athens, okay? And I just wanted to do three of them because of pastor here, and it went to, okay, then it was uh, Narcius, um, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot, I wanted to do that for pastor, because pastor, one of his, when he came here to teach, and his first week, he quoted Aristius, Aristius, okay, and he was, a, he became the leader of the Greek church, now the Greek church still exists today. It's called the Greek Orthodox Church. Unfortunately, okay, they actually are pressing against uh, many of the things that they originally believed. Okay, the Areopagus still exists today. The Parthenon still exists today. The Areopagus still exists today. The Olympics still exists today. Okay? There's a lot of carryover. Believe it or not, yes, Epicurean philosophy still exists in its practice today. Stoic philosophy is still you can you go on the internet, you'll you find organizations you can join these groups, join these philosophies, join these worship centers. Okay. So in closing, I wanted to cover three, you know, quickly three things. Ever be ready. Paul was ever ready to share and know what the world had against you and had in common with you. So he was ever ready to share his faith. As, P as we learned Peter, Second Peter, first 13, ever be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you. But he was also ready, as in 2 Corinthians 10.5, 10, he's ready to do battle with anything vain that comes against, anything wrong that comes against the teaching of Christ. 
And he, he did both right there in one shot for us. In a place not too dissimilar from still where we exist today. In a world that has many idols about it. Okay, it can be vain on its own intellect. So, ever be ready to never compromise. Never compromise the truth. Paul didn't back down here. He found a way in, a safe way in. Okay, he, remember, he goes, you're, you're teaching foreign gods. And you're kind of like, no, I'm not. Look, I'm just telling you about this one here you don't know about. You even claimed in your own ignorance you don't know who he is. I'm here to tell you it's him. So he, he was tactful about it, which for Paul at times was, if you, you know, okay. And three, always be compassionate. Always be compassionate. As the end of the first, the second Peter 3.15 ends with that. Ever be compassionate about sharing your faith. Be ready to share it. Okay? And that's act, there's a lot of activeness to being ready. Okay? Never compromise the truth. And be passionate, compa- compassionate about it. So, Father, I do thank you so much for this opportunity to make the Greek um, true here, Lord, to enlighten it, to make it understandable that there's so much in vain that they and us as a nation, Lord, just put out there that hides you from the people, that hides your truth, and that, Lord, you would motivate us in our studies and our pursuit of you to recognize the walls that we can effectively tear down, Lord, through your spirit. And Lord, the, uh, the connections we have to share with people that will show you. So Lord, I pray that as I, Lord, close this up, that you will bless us each day with a desire to pursue you with all our hearts and mind. And that, Lord, you'll give us opportunity to know you and to make you known. In your name we pray. Amen.